welcome to Let's Grab a Cup podcast. This is where we talk about leadership, authenticity, resiliency. We provide a place to hold space for one another. I'm your host, Adam Sturgeon. So why don't you grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever suits you at this moment. Let's dive in. Well, I am Adam Sturgeon, and this is a Let's Grab a Cup podcast. And uh, today, uh, it's kind of a special little recording. We're in a little recording studio here. It's kind of cool. (laughs) I'm with uh, Matthew Marshall, who's a uh, police officer in Southern California. He's been a police officer for about four years and uh, started a little later in his life, started at 31, and spent most of his uh, adult life in the private sector. So we'll get into that. And um, really uh, happy to be here today. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing real good. It's good to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, dude. And I we've talked a couple times about the idea of you coming on and yeah. you know how this got started and where we're going with this. And I just uh, I really appreciate you coming on today. So, um, really, what this is all about is how uh, people in law enforcement deal with the career, what's going on in the world today, and navigating that with our personal experiences behind us. And you have unique experiences just like anybody else, but yours are yeah. even more unique because you. Did you grow up in the city that you work in? Yeah, so I grew, I grew up uh, in the city that I work in. I grew up um, like pretty much um, not in a not in like a bad area, but it was we'll say it was um, it was a lower to middle class area uh, of the city that I actually currently still patrol and um, had some. I have awesome parents. My parents didn't really like <laughs> the, the school system uh, within the respective area, so. I grew up in one area, but I went to school in a totally different area. And I would say the area that I went to school in was um, um, a little, a little, little, little different, a little different. So you didn't see some of the same people that uh, were on your block. I'll put it to you that way. So I'm African American, and the people I went to school with, it was you have multicultural, but it was it was definitely primarily Caucasian or you know Asian or um, and, and stuff like that. So there was there wasn't too many, too many blacks, too many, too many Hispanics or anything like that. So you were being busted into the school, pretty much. Yeah, I was like an interdistrict transfer. Okay, um, from the time, and that started early. That started when I was, man, probably like eight. Oh, wow. so I started going like <laughs> school. Like, yeah, pretty, pretty early. So okay, I do have a question. You're so you said I'm African American, and you said not a lot of black or Hispanic people in the school. So yeah. do you? identify yourself as being african-american you say i'm a black man like does it matter because i know people always kind of like yeah, i don't yeah, know yeah. what to say you know Every, everyone's different man Every, everyone's different I, I i'm black i was born black i'm gonna die black i'm black um i've never been to africa i want to go to africa but i've never been i prefer to just be called black but i know some people are like no i'm you know afro-latino or i'm afro-caribbean or this that and the third and that's totally fine that that works for you dude do you, Buster? But this is me, so that's why I prefer to be called. <laughs> All right. So you grew up in, I'd say, like a you said, like an inner city kind of, and then you were yeah. you're being transferred out to another area where, like you said, like more white people, less, yeah. less people of color at the school that you went to. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So how did that go for? Like, explain that how that that is from your side, your perspective of it, because I know like the other people um, who see people get bust into their schools, kind of mm-hmm. think like, oh, they might have one perspective, but what is the perspective of a young man who's being transferred into a school that maybe it doesn't recognize the people from his neighborhood there um i think as a kid you don't really recognize it because a kid as, as a kid especially like third grade what's that eight third grade you're, you don't really see color everyone's either just your friend or you're not everyone's just either cool or they're not um it wasn't until you get to about junior high and maybe it's changed now because i think 
kids now are growing up a lot faster with the internet age and stuff like that and just being the overall exposure. But I didn't really notice it until about junior high. And once I noticed it, I was like, oh, then I more kind of gravitated to hanging out with more kids that look like me and stuff like that versus before it was like, oh, well, if we play basketball, we all play basketball. Or if I play football, we all play football versus, uh, you know, kind of how it is now. So how was that? How was that decision made by your mom? Like before decide not to go to school in your city yeah i think so i have a sister uh she's about six years older than me and um she went to she started going to schools you know kind of in the respective area and just she my parents just weren't a fan of some of the things that were being taught um some of the education was kind of falling through the cracks and i think they were like okay we've learned from <laughs> we've learned from your sister so they went ahead and, and, and make a made a parental decision to hey we're going to go ahead and go to this this particular area um which is also the same area that i um that i end up living in high school we end up actually moving to that same area all right so so you kind of you continue those friendships kind of you when you were younger you could be able to continue them on as yeah. you grew up yeah all right. Were, sure. you, were you playing sports? Were you were they getting you involved in like after school programs? Like, what would that look like? Yeah. So I I was one of those weird kids, man. I played like everything. I uh, played everything. Um, I would say my primary sport was like basketball, football. Um, like when I got to high school, I did football. I did wrestling. I did. Uh, I did. What did I do? I did debate team. I uh, did well, mock trial. It was called. Um, I did choir. I did dance. Uh, yeah. Did football, did wrestling. Yeah, I did a bunch of stuff. So I was always busy. I was always out. I was always, uh, so. That's funny. We just watched a movie that showed like a mock trial. It was like a family movie and showed like a mock trial. And my kids were like, what is that? Are they doing a play? Like, <laughs> no, it's practicing to be a lawyer. Like when you get older, you could use mock trial. We're trying to explain it to them. They're little and they didn't really understand. But it was, I remember doing the same thing, doing mock trial. Yeah, yeah. You know, that whole like law side of it. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. I'm, so, I'm debating someone and I'm going to affirm or deny. It's just. It, it was cool because it was a different perspective. Like someone's trying to go ahead and say, well, no, I'm going to refute that. And these are the reasons why. And these are the stipulations. And you're like, okay. So it teaches you how to be educated in the way that you want to argue, argue your decision. Yeah. <laughs> Not just, no. I don't yeah. Do no, that's that's dumb. <laughs> that's funny. All right. So one thing that you, that's interesting that we've talked about is the fact that you, uh, you like to do horseback riding. Do you call it horseback riding? Uh, yeah, I'm an, I would say I'm an equestrian enthusiast. Equestrian. Yeah, I was like, yeah, am yeah, I saying yeah. that right? I feel like yeah. my kids do horseback riding, but is that what it's called? It's not really. Um, you, yeah, you would, you would say that um, if someone's an active rider, right, like they ride different stuff, usually you'll say, oh, I ride equestrian or I ride horses and I do like hunter jumper or um, or I do like trail trials or I ride western or I ride English or whatever. So that's usually how people say. If someone's okay. like, oh, I go horseback riding. It's, it's like, like they, one time. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I went horseback riding over in uh, Cancun or something. Yeah, Cancun or Mazatlan or you went up to the Griffith Park in L.A. and you, you went around a couple of times with the pony rides. Okay, so how did how did you get into <laughs> being an equestrian? Um. I, I feel like you're not in a question. I feel like because we talked about this. Yeah. You, what do you call yourself? What I call myself? You say you're like you're a cowboy? I mean, I'm a cowboy. That's, that's yeah, what so I that's am. That's why yeah. I feel like, I feel yeah. like that's different. <laughs> that's different than equestrians. I, it, it's, they're, they're, they're different, but they're very similar. Uh, and that just breaks down to general horsemanship. Like, what are you into? Right? With me, I started, I was always fascinated at a really, really early age with like westerns and stuff like that. I, I say that probably like five or six was the first time I remember like seeing like watching Bonanza like on like a Saturday or something like that um and I was like whoa like this is so cool 
And I think my parents finally picked up, like, okay, this kid, like, really likes these westerns. <laughs> and so they got me, like, my first pair of, like, cowboy boots or whatever. And then I was uh, probably, like, seven, probably, like, seven or eight. And I kept begging my parents, like, hey, I, I want a horse. I want a horse. I want a horse. And they actually ended up throwing me a birthday party at, like, an equestrian center, which is, like, a, a city right nearby, which is real real close to where uh, where I patrol as well. And that really kicked it off once I was like, oh, I could see horses. I could touch horses. I kept begging, let me, let me get a horse. Let me get a horse. Let me get a horse. Uh, slowly but surely, as I got a little older, they got me some riding lessons. Um, started actually doing, doing stuff like that. And I've, man, I've been riding horses ever since I was a little kid. I've ridden horses all over California, Utah, Colorado. I've ridden them in Wyoming. I've ridden them in, uh, I haven't ridden them in Montana. Um, I've, yeah, I've, I've ridden horses quite a bit all over. So. That's crazy. Is there somewhere that you like really want to go ride that you like, get? That's like your dream. That's ride? like my dream. I really want to do if if I can do like an actual like cattle drive for like a couple couple weeks, just like just be off like somewhere. city slickers, like city slickers. There you go. You know, that's like the only information <laughs> I have <laughs> on cowboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I could if I could do that and just be off in the distance, just doing my thing for a couple weeks and just have fun. What, what's what's better than that? You just get to be on the trail somewhere, waking up when the sun comes up, chilling, cooking outside, and having fun. Like have to me, that into that. Like, is that, po- that something you could? It's do? Exp- oh man! If you've ever seen TV show Yellowstone, everybody's country now. <laughs> so the, the before, like the ranchers were barely making. It, now they're over here raking in the dough. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I have looked into it. Some of it, yeah, it's pretty expensive. Like I would say, the lowest I've seen, even for a week, is like two grand for one person. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So. All right. So then how, so you're riding, um, like you're a young kid, you're riding, you mm-hmm. said that you were begging your mom to buy you a horse. Yeah. My parents never bought me a horse. Okay. What they did is, um, they should allow me to ride at, um, at the, at the facility using other horses and stuff like that. And there was a horse that, you know, I, I would ride often. Okay. Yeah. You can just choose like which horse you want to ride when you go there. So, so yeah, I had like a, I had like an actual like person that I'd ride with and then she had, a, um, a certain amount of horses that were less than horses that she allowed me to ride. You still, I mean, I'm guessing you've ridden multiple horses since then. Like, this oh is, man, yeah, a, a lot of horses. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of horses. Yeah. So, uh, what's your what is your goal with that? I mean, you still you're still riding to this day. Yeah. So I still ride. I still ride. I I um I got involved. So kind of flash forward to, to flash flash back to flash forward. So I went to went to Azusa Pacific University. Went to went to went to college, and um, wasn't riding anymore. No more equestrian stuff. I just played football. Um, you know, just did my thing, partying, playing sports, having fun. Uh, and which is crazy to think because APU is like a fairly uh, non denominational uh, Christian college. You're like, what kind of partying can you do there? But I didn't party there, I partied at Chapman, and uh, that yeah. one, <laughs> that one knows how to party. Gotcha. So, uh, and so after college, I went ended up moving up to the Bay Area, and um, I kind of got involved in in rodeo. I went to a PBR show, like someone had some tickets, we, we went, and I remember I was with someone at the time, and I was like, oh, man, that'd be so cool to do, like, and they're like, like, bust bulls, like, we, like, ride bulls, I'm like, yeah, and they're like, oh, you can't do that, and I'm the kind of person, if you tell me I can't do something, well, you just said the wrong thing, partner, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, do the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go the full enchilada, so... I contacted like seven people on the circuit that night. One person wrote back to me on Facebook, Brandon Clark. He's like, Hey, if you want to come down, we buck bulls about two and a half hours away. It was Gilroy. Yeah. It was really? in Gilroy. And I was like, all right. I drove down from, from San Francisco to Gilroy 
and um, started riding bulls. I rode bulls for about almost about a year and a half. Are you serious? Yeah, I did rodeo for about a year and a half. And then finally was like, all right, I'm done with this. And when I moved back down to Southern California, I kind of started picking up riding again. How long can you stand a bull for? How long can you stand a bull for? I mean, if you could ride for eight seconds, you're pretty good. You're pretty handy, yeah. But eight seconds is is the cutoff, right? So eight seconds, like the the horn blows, you're supposed to get off. But oh, really? Yeah. So it's it's when I say it's eight seconds, it's a it's a long Long eight eight seconds. seconds? (laughs) It's it's a long. I've never done it, so I mean, like one second. (laughs) It's 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 something you do in your youth when you. Don't don't have to worry. Like when you're like, oh, medical. I don't really think about that. Like that's the thing you do in your youth, where you would never do now. Looking yeah. back, yeah, it was stupid. Would I do it now? Of course not. Like you couldn't pay me enough to get on a bull now. Really, you couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. That's crazy. Because I know now, like, okay, the devastation. Right. Like I was lucky. I never got seriously seriously injured. I know guys of you know multiple concussions, cracked crack, collarbones, femurs, ankles, wrist, fingers. Um, TBS, all the different stuff. I got lucky. The only thing I ever did was like I rolled my ankle real bad uh, when I was coming off uh, coming off of a bull, and then I actually ended up um, fracturing my coccyx, which is my tailbone. Jeez, um, and that. Well, yeah, yeah, that 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 hurts. Yeah. You don't really think about it until you're laying in the dirt, going, "Oh, I hope I don't get trampled," because I was so I, I couldn't yeah, stand up. Really, you can't I could I couldn't yeah. stand up. I was like, "Oh my god." I'm like, please don't die. I don't want to die like this. <laughs> so when that happens, like when you fall off or whatever, like does someone come out and. Yeah. Yeah. So you have bullfighters in there or rodeo clowns, wherever you want to call them. But they prefer to be called uh, bullfighters. Bull yeah. And they come in like, Hey, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And they'll, they'll put them back in the chute, put them back in the round pen or whatever. And they go ahead and get you out of there. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm mean, like, that'd be crazy. They're just like waiting for the bull, like just to like, leave you alone. <laughs> can toss everywhere. Oh my goodness. I've never been to a rodeo. They used what? To, uh, yeah, like I actually talked to uh, um, one of my guests. Had he was he was started the rodeo back in Santa Clarita like years ago. Yeah, and um, he was talking about that, and I was like, that was interesting. I don't even like I know there was a rodeo, but we never I never been. You never went. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really cool though. Like I don't know. Okay, so you got horses, and you got red bulls. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, well, let's get like what what did you do? Like you said, you went to college. What did you go to college for? So I actually I went to I went to Azusa Pacific University, um, and I major in philosophy and I minor in theology. Yeah. What was your plan? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I just I I enjoyed education and I enjoyed like being able to creatively think outside the box. Um, that was like my big thing is if you could if you can get past your own mindset of your critical thinking skills, philosophy is easy. It's a problem that we can't get outside of our own mind sometimes and our own <clears throat> ingrained way of thinking, whether it be from nature or nurture or whatever. You just you're, stuck you're, in the box. Yeah, you're just stuck. Yeah, exactly. You can't think, yeah, someone tells you something and that's it. You can't think outside of that. Yep. I, I think that's interesting. We, I think we all get even like nowadays, like in police work, we all get stuck in this box. Like we can only do certain things a certain way, correct? Because that's what you've been taught or you've you've heard. That's how you're supposed to do it. Versus like, yeah. hey, there are different ways to do different things, and we can't think outside the box. No, uh, I agree. So were, you didn't have a plan of what you wanted to use that for? No, I didn't really have any particular plan when it came to like me actually using my degree. I knew that there was a couple of things I wanted to do. I knew that, all right, I wanted to be a police officer at some point in time. And I knew that I, I would like to serve in the military, but I just wasn't sure how I was going to navigate that. I got recruited pretty hard while I was in high school um, by the Navy. 
My dad was a, a Navy veteran. <clears throat> like they would come out to watch me play football. They'd drive me home from, from school. Really? And I, yeah. And they were trying to get me to go that route. And I was really thinking about it. Like I, when I was in school, so I'm a little older. So when I was in school, 9-11 happened. Um, and, you know, so we were just kicking off. I mean, this is before the Battle of Fallujah or anything like that. So we were just kind of getting started in, in the war. When you were in? When I was in high school. High school? Yeah. So because 9-11 happened when I was a sophomore. Okay. So we're just now at that point. Yeah, I was a I was a senior, I think. Yeah, yeah, I was an, I was a senior. Yeah, because that's what changed everything. Of like where I wanted to go to college and everything. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, because I was planning on going to the East Coast, and then okay. ended up in staying on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> we're crashing planes. I, yeah. I'm staying here. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Anyway, so yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so you're so you were saying that you were going through this this time being recruited. Yeah. So I was going through this time kind of being recruited. My dad kind of put a kibosh on that. He saw me one, one day coming home um, from school and I saw my dad like coming out of the, coming out of a, coming out of our house. And um, he like saw this car and he saw me. I was like, drop me off right, drop me, drop me off right here, drop me off right here. <laughs> cause I didn't want my dad to see cause you know, it's got like government plates on it. Like he knows, he knows what, what he, the jig is up pretty much. <clears throat> so my dad's like, get your butt in the house. Like, All right. And uh, my dad goes and talks to the recruiter, and the recruiter's real nice. And he's like, "Hey, he's got his whole like you know Cracker Jack uniform on." He puts his hand out there, and my dad shakes his hand. He's like, "Hey, I'm, I'm over here like peeking through the window." And he's like, "He's like, oh, listen, I appreciate what you're doing for my son, but don't worry, we got it from here. Like, don't you don't, don't pick him up anymore. Don't contact me anymore. I serve, so my son doesn't have to serve. Go find some other kid." Wow. And I remember my dad came into the house, and I was like so mad. I was like, "What are you talking about, Dad? Like that's so unpatriotic." Like I'm over here telling my dad at. Like, 15, 16 years old, how unpatriotic he is because he won't allow me to serve. Knowing my dad served in the Vietnam War, um, you know, he's a submariner, he's, he's a nuke. And uh, my dad, you know, Vietnam was a totally different type of a war. Similar, there were some similarities, but it's totally different. My dad, he had the wherewithal and the, and the wisdom to be like, hey, you're going to college, man. Like, we, we got some stuff set up for you. And he even, he told me later on, like, hey, whatever you choose to do, that's fine. If you want to go back into the military, which I later go into the military, which I later did, then that's on you. But finish up school first. Right. Yeah. So where did you end up serving? Um, so I enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserves um, 2014. Yeah, 2014. Um, I was uh, just, just moved back from the Bay, moved back down here, and... Interestingly enough, I it was one of those things where people say you have like an itch, right? That you can't scratch. You're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. Right. It's still kind of like young angst, I would call it, just in a different, different, uh, different realm. I knew I wanted to serve, and you're at that age where you're not really treated as an adult because you're, you're 25. Yeah. You know, but you feel like but yeah, you, I'm, a, I'm an adult. Yeah. You feel like you're an adult, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> and so I went ahead and I contacted a buddy of mine. I said, hey man, I think I'm gonna apply for the army and he starts laughing i was like in my mind i'm like starting to get upset like why is he laughing dude he's like dude i i just applied i was like really so i'm like oh what'd you apply for and he's like oh put in for this i'm like great so i went ahead went to went to meps which is like military like you know indoctrination like you have to go to meps you got all your medical stuff done right it's all it's in los angeles and get all it done and get my get my ship date everything and um by the time I am shipped out, I think there was like five, I counted five of my friends, close friends, that we all went in within six months of each other. Really? Um, all 
all the same branch, different, some, some different, different jobs. Um, two of them were the same jobs. Like um, I'm a military police. I was a military police officer. Me and my buddy Eddie went at the same time, military police officer and went to the same Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And, um, Went there for basic uh, training in, in AIT, which is a school, right? And then once I was done, I got stationed at Joint Task Force Base Los Alamitos. Again, really close to home. So I got really, really lucky with that. I didn't have to go to way out somewhere. And um, I ended up deploying in 2000, like a year after I came back. And I ended up deploying to uh, Guantanamo Bay. Uh, really? Cuba. Yeah, I was there for a year. Wow. Yeah. That way, a couple of things here. So military police. Yeah. So did you start off right away as military police or they, you, they, that's what they put you in? Yeah. So, um, you get what's called the MOS is military occupation. And, um, that was, that's what, that's why I wanted. Like I, you have like a pretty much like a score, very similar to like the SATs. Like, Oh, you scored this, right? Right. Well, we have, you have ASVAB store, GT score, MM score, mechanic score, whatever. And they all go by, by different ratings and they go, okay, these are the career fields that you can, that you can, that you can do. And I said, okay, great. And I was like, I want MP. And they kind of like looked at me. They're like, uh, what? Like, why do you want that? Like, <laughs> do people not normally want that? People, he's like, uh, I think it's, it's not, I would say people don't normally want that. I think people looked at it and they're like, okay, like you've had some like schooling. Like, why would you choose this? Like anybody, it, anybody can kind of get it. Oh, really? It's not very, it's not very hard to oh, get. Okay. It's cool training, but it's not, it's not like engineering. Right. Right. So they thought you were going to try to do something else. Yeah, they thought it was like going to be some. I was like, I have no idea. I, I don't want to do that at all. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. Counterintelligence? I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Okay. So I picked that and um, I got stationed uh, got stationed here because I was a reservist. And then when I deployed to um, Guantanamo Bay, um, I was doing um, you know a couple different things there. We had like three different missions while we were there. And not none of them like top secret or anything like that. They were just three different missions. One was working camps, like actually working inside the actual detention facilities with the, you know, the uh, inmates. Know, yeah, we'll call them inmates. There you go. I mean, what you, prisoners? <laughs> detainees. Detainees. Yeah, we'll call them detainees. All right. Uh, so we're working with the detainees. And then the other part was military commissions, which is military court. So it's crazy to think some of these people are still on trial from 2001. Wow. Yeah, that's that's something I didn't know until I got there. I was like, "Wait, how is that possible?" I will, and they're American citizens. I'm like, "Okay, wow, I'm, all right, whatever." <laughs> um, and then another part, which was actually pretty cool, um, at the at the time that I was there, we were just changing over uh, presidency. The election for um, Donald Trump was was going on while I was there, <clears throat> so Barack Obama was trying to get people out of Guantanamo Bay. I know. During his presidency, he was like, we're closing it down, right. this, that, and the third. And then Trump's like, we're not closing it down, we're building it. So it was just, you know, just just a stupid grab bag. But um, I actually got a chance to take people actually off island. Um, so take them, hey, this person is done with their time, whatever. And that was a unique experience to, hey, we're getting on a, getting on a bird. And with people I was with, and we took them actually off island. Where do you take them to? Oh, you can't D- tell. Different places. All right. Yeah, different places. So, that's, so that is classified. I, I probably wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Interesting. So it was cool. It was a cool experience. Man. I'll have to press the stop recording button. <laughs> that's good. It's all good. It's all good. So what does it look like when you get there? It's like, what does Guantanamo Bay look like when you, you arrive? Like, what, describe what it looks like. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I'd say it looks like a mixture between um, 
I would say it looks like a mixture between like Hawaii and it looks like a mixture between like Hawaii and like Norco. Like, <laughs> Cause there's like some parts that are like really nice and like, like lush and like green. And there's other parts that are like, Oh, this is dry as hell. Really? <laughs> so yeah, it just depends on kind of like where you're at on the Island, but it's cool. Cause you're right off the bay. So there's a lot of cool stuff to do. If you, if you like, Hey, being outdoors and snorkeling and jet skis and boating and fishing and scuba diving, uh, like all that, all that's real cool. So, so it's like, yeah, how is they, they treat the military? Like you're there, they, everyone's treated really so well. So the military installation itself has been there. I'm going to probably get this timeline so jacked up. I believe it's been there since the forties, fifties. So it's been there for a very, very long time. And the way that, you know, the military got it was they were like, Hey, well, we're going to lease the land from your annex this land right. for a, a certain amount of time. Um, but it's all self-sufficient. They have their own water source. They have their own electricity source, like everything. Um, the all but all ba- all all branches are there so you have coast guard there they do usually like a six or a three month or a six month rotation just like maritime like security in the in the bay you have the navy's there air force is there um the marines are there marine actually have it's called we call it marine hill like they they deal with um um this one side which kind of like borders the um um the actual cuba side the the nation of cuba so it, they they have a line kind of draws like a DMZ where all these mines are in, in between really? and they, they guard just that side, just that side of it. Wow. Uh, yeah. They don't really venture too much into our area, but yeah. So all, all branches are there doing their thing and then you have contractors, FBI, CIA and Homeland security, you know, they come doing their thing. So it's interesting. What did your uh, dad think about that? After he was, he was supportive. Yeah. He was, he was, he was actually pretty supportive because at that point I was already like a grown man. So he was like, okay, like you've done, you've done stuff. You, you, you know what you want to do. All right, cool. No problem. Uh, for a short amount of time after college, my dad, um, he's retired now, but he worked for, um, aerospace. He worked for, uh, Northrop Grumman. So when I got, what is that? Sorry. I don't know. Uh, Northrop Grumman, they build like planes and stuff for the uh, military. Okay. So like F 22 strike fighters, F 35, stuff like that. So shortly after I graduated college, he, you know, he's, he was there and he's like, well, come work from here. You're going to have a pension. You're going to have this. You're going to have that. My dad's like, well, everything's going to be set up for you for your life. You know, and in his mind, he's like, everything's great. You'll be fine. You were making good money. You're going to be doing this. You're going to have kids. You're going to be. And I went there and I hated it. Oh, so you did work there. Yeah. I, I worked there for six months and I quit. Really? Yeah. I was, what were you doing? I was doing like quality control for like some of the planes, like the, or the parts of the planes. And so telling people, like, hey, you drill too far on this, like, refill it, drill it again. One, not one, something I want to be doing. And two, no one wants to listen. If they're 60-something years old and they have kids my age or younger or older, they don't want me to listen to some guy that just graduated college telling them how to do their job. Right. They're going to be like, well, what do you know? Just because my micrometer says the depth is wrong. So it was a constant thing where, hey, Phil, could you go ahead and redrill this? I noticed that blah, 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 blah. I just, I, I didn't like it. And I'm a more of a people person. So it's like, I don't want to be dealing with this crap. Yeah. This wasn't my bag. So you did six months of that same job? Yeah, six months. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so how was that? Did you have to go to your dad and say I quit? Or was he still? Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't like a, he wasn't my supervisor. We weren't, we didn't work in the same department or anything. I quit dad. But I, I remember like the day I quit. Um, yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> I called my dad and I said, Hey, um, just so you know, I'm turning in my two weeks. I'm not going to be here anymore. So 
And my dad was just silent. He was like, uh, well, uh, uh. and he's like, I'll call you back. And he, he like called my mom, <laughs> called, called me back. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, this is a, you know, he was like, you're being immature. It's being a juvenile, blah, blah, blah. You don't have anything. Li-. Cause I didn't have anything lined up yet. I just knew I didn't want to do that. Right. Right. And, um, my, uh, my dad was like, you know, you know, you're being juvenile, you're being a kid, you need to get your life right, and blah, blah, blah. I did a lot to get you here. And I was like, I appreciate all of it, but this just isn't for me. This is this is your life. Right. You know, so. It's just like the varsity blue. Right? <laughs> I, don't I don't want your care. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, years years later, after serving in the military and stuff like that, I remember my dad, and, you know, we've talked since, since a multitude of times, and I finally told him, like, dude, drop that, like, drop it. And he dropped after some time. But I remember my dad, told me uh, after I came back from my deployment. And, and there was quite a few years in between all of that, right? He was like, hey, I'm really proud of you. You've done everything in life that you've wanted to do, you set out to do, and you, it worked out for you way far than I could have ever dreamed or imagined, and I was proud of you for following your gut and your dreams. I was like, oh, thanks, appreciate that. <laughs> thanks for believing in me now. <laughs> <laughs> your mom talks some sense to <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. She was like, go over there and yeah, tell go say something. <laughs> nice. Right, he's got his shit together. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So what did you do? What you said you had nothing lined up when you decided to leave this job that your dad planned his whole life around. And what did you end up, end up doing? Um, <laughs> so I had like a couple like odds and end jobs, stuff like that, just trying to make ends meet and then um i got employed by <laughs> a retailer abercrombie and fitch <laughs> yeah i got employed by them uh you were standing outside now see why sure did i want to say why were the things like i was like, <laughs> well, you're, you're smiling model, you're no. smiling because so i knew you were gonna ask that I, question i wasn't gonna i was assuming that you were probably the manager of the store in the back but then you start well, i gotta be in the back man Managing, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is oh, there anything? <laughs> like, wow. I gotta be in the back, man. Wow. <laughs> I'm just messing with that's you. On you. That's on you. <laughs> that is hey, on me. Hey, I you smile. So like, this guy has his shirt off somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so, uh, what it, so when I got first got started there, I worked for their uh, loss prevention department. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I covered like a couple of stores in LA, like three stores actually. And then I started working my way up the chain, <clears throat> became a, a loss prevention uh, manager, then district loss prevention manager. <clears throat> That's actually what moved me out to the Bay because uh, they, they relocated me up there to oversee the Bay Area. And then left there, actually got picked up for um, like a, uh, I would say it was like a, it was more of like a regional type of position um, for I mean, I was there for a short amount of time. To remember, what was the, what was the brand name? Um, oh my goodness, Fit, uh, Saks Fifth Avenue. All right, yeah. What, talk about another job I hated. Hated it. Really? Yeah. I so probably shouldn't be mentioning brands, but you know, it is what it is. So, <laughs> yeah, we're not getting sponsored now. So. <laughs> You're not getting sponsored right. by Saks. Five thousand hey, dollars. I'll throw this episode in the trash can, Saks. If you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I I just was just wasn't a fan. wasn't really my clientele. wasn't really my thing. So so is are they related Abercrombie? No, not at all. Not so at you all. just so you I, I I went there. I worked for Abercrombie for about five years. I worked my way up the chain a little bit. Um, Saks offered me a pretty big, pretty pretty good size offer. Like they went on my LinkedIn, reached out to me directly, and was like, "Hey, um, you know, we're recruiting for this position. Would you like to come and interview?" Got it. Cool. Worked there for about <clears throat> about eight months or so. I was like, "Man, this is it." Just 
it just wasn't my my type of clientele. Just wasn't my, my was wasn't my bag at all. Yeah, wasn't my bag at all. So I was kind of trying to politic to try and find another job. Yet again, it's just like stuffy. At that point, I was just so over dealing with. I would say, how would I say this? Uh, I the client, the people I worked with, there were some people that were that were amazing. They're not going to come after you, but this they're is not the government. <laughs> <laughs> but when it came to like some of the other people, other departments and stuff like that, I was like, okay, like we're selling five and ten thousand dollar shirts. Like what? Like how does this? Why? Why? Like why? What? What about this silk shirt makes this ten thousand dollars? You know, and and no one really cared. Like, okay, if they lost, if they were to lose something to shrink, right, or the theft, it was like, oh, we lost it, and he ran this way, and blah blah. But in my mind, I'm like that's ten thousand dollars, right? But it was like, oh well, you know, which is oh my goodness. So I was like, okay, this is my mind. I, I would get like kind of like internally upset about things. So I'm like, this is I see the dollar amount. I'm thinking big deal, but for that brand, it was like, okay, well, you know, it was just it was a shirt. I'm like, no, but that shirt was had value. You know, I think of the overall big right. picture and some people were like, no. it's interesting. So I was like, this is, this isn't going to work out. All right. This, this is, this isn't going to work out for me. <laughs> um, so I, I left there. I got picked up by, by another retailer. Actually, um, I came in as, as a regional, um, I went for work for lid sports group and I worked for lid sports group for about five and a half years, got promoted to director, oversaw multiple stores, multiple states even and actually i oversaw western also the western part of canada as well so i was traveling quite a bit i was traveling quite a bit so um during that time i also deployed for a year um, that's why i went to guantanamo bay oh really yeah so so this is all happening simultaneously yeah so i worked for when i worked for lids i was i was also uh, uh still in the i was in the army okay and um i know we kind of quit in tarantino with some of that but uh <laughs> that's all right no i didn't yeah i didn't know this all happened at the same time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um so 2013, yeah, so 18, yeah, I was, I was with them. And um, I had a good time. I had a good time. I traveled a lot. I think for me that was the biggest burnout. I was traveling at least two weeks a month. So though I was, you know, I didn't have a family, single, stuff like that. It's, that's, a, that's a burden. Yeah. <laughs> that's a burden eating at a, a hotels and and eating out all the time, and you're trying to get a workout in. You're just, you're just trying to be normal, and you know things you can't really do during the week because you know Monday morning you're hopping on a flight, you're usually flying back Friday or a late flight on Thursday, trying to get back to your normal life. Um, and after a while, I grew actually blew up. I grew, I, I gained like 25 pounds. Oh really? Like all fat in the face. Couldn't run to save my life. And it was it was wasn't wasn't. Wasn't cool. I could eat a lot though. I can tell you that. I could eat a lot. I could throw. I could throw down an Applebee's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Applebee's. <laughs> Director of lids, and you're eating Applebee's. <laughs> Buying at Saks Fifth Avenue. Yeah, man. With your so, silk shirt. <laughs> my silk shirt. But it was cool because I got the chance to travel. I think that's the cool thing about that job. I got a chance to go to so many different places and and, and states. Like at this point in time, I've already. I think now I'm at like 41, 42 states I've traveled to. Really? I've been like all over the United States. And that's one awesome thing about that, about that job that I had because it opened my mind to, man, people are really the same all over. Like we think, especially like being in Southern California, like, oh, or Texans talk like this and wear cowboy hats and wear this, which who am I talking about? I have cowboy boots on right now. 
But, you know, you think that somebody from the Midwest has a certain type of Wisconsin accent or some guy from Canada says A all the dang time. And they don't. (laughs) And they don't. People are the same all over. Sometimes they have an accent. Sometimes they don't. But it really just comes down to people want to live live in prosperity. They want to take care of their kids. They want to be able to have fun, you know, cut loose every now and then and just live live their life. You know, and that's that's the cool part. I I, I covered a Hawaii I was there every couple months, and man, the islands of Hawaii, some of the nice, some of the biggest people I've ever met as well, some of the the nicest people I have ever met in my life where they, I was just doing a store visit, that's it, I was just a store visit, I was a director, I wasn't wasn't the president of the company, I wasn't a CEO of nothing, right, and his family, the store manager's family, went ahead and was like, hey, we appreciate you coming down here to come and see us, I know last time, um, our, our boy, which he was a grown man, <laughs> like oh, we know our son. You know he he made um, um he made like some award. You gave him some award. So last time because I was there and gave him some award, they wanted to give me something. Really? Yeah, and it was just it's just a paper award. It's nothing crazy. And he came his his grandmother, his mother, his father. They wanted to take pictures with me, and they gave me a they gave me like some necklace and like made me like some like homemade um uh, donuts. Like poi donuts. That's cool. And I was like, "What?" Like I've traveled. Like I've, I've never had anyone be this nice to me. And I, you know that forever made me grateful because I was like, "Like this is what life is all about." Like you, you're good to people, and people are good to you. Like that's that tr- a true testament to their culture. That's really cool. So, what is it, what level is director? Like at what level is that on its way up? Um, it's just right below executive. So yeah, I guess we should. Clarify how many more levels there are before you're the CEO of the company. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a director role is like right below, ex, ex, right below executive, and then it'll go from there. It'll go from executive to, to yeah, some type of um, officer. Usually, like you know, so you have you have, obviously everyone knows CEO, and then you have a chief financial officer, or I'm sorry, you'll also have a VP. So you'll have a VP of that department. Um, so you go director, executive. And usually like a, a, a VP of that department. So I still I still had a ways to go. But once I once I came to the point where I was going to like I was like, okay, well, am I gonna go executive route? I knew that I couldn't be in the field anymore. I'd have to move to um the what we call the home office, the corporate office, which was <clears throat> in Indianapolis. And I was like, I ain't moving to Indiana. <laughs> like, oh really? Yeah, I was like, I ain't no, I ain't, I ain't doing all that now. I'm staying Right here. <laughs> so after all of that traveling, all that stuff, and it was like, hey, you'd have to go there, and you were just like, no, I'm not. I'm done. Yeah, I was. I, I knew I wasn't going to Indiana, <clears throat> and not only was I not going to Indiana, I also technically couldn't because I was in the reserves. So you have to you have to live within a certain uh, mile range of your duty station. It isn't like you can just be like, oh, well, my duty station's in Hawaii, and I live here. Like, right? Nah, don't work like that, bro. Like you have to live within a certain amount of miles, and. um as much as I enjoyed the people and the and the traveling, I knew I, I didn't want to work in a, in a stuffy office. Just hey, what's going on, bud? Just you know, clocking in and grabbing my coffee and talking at the water cooler about nonsense. And because it was such a sports driven uh, company, which is great, nothing wrong with that. I was like, dude, I don't want me talking about basketball every freaking five minutes just because it's March Madness. Like, there's more things to life than just this. Right. <laughs> so I was kind of getting. Um, say over it but i was i was kind of getting stale I was like, okay where's my growth where, where where's where's my where's my next move um 
again, another issue with my parents because they were like, okay, why are you switching companies every five years? Right. But our generation, I mean, our generation, they kind of move on, move on, move on, move on, move on versus the generation from our parents. It was like you stayed there for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. If you're lucky, got a gold watch, got a pension and there you go. You're out. Yeah, I, my, one of my friends works in a, like a medical sales, yeah. and he was saying that in their line of work, you bounce, you basically like you leverage one job to get a better job in another yeah. company, and then a better. Like you were kind of saying with Abercrombie to Saks, like whatever. You're, like they, you kind of interview up, correct? You bounce around versus like it's hard to move, harder to move up linearly. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, it'd be linear yeah. versus jumping from kind of bouncing up. To the executive there's, there's almost level. like always the, a yeah a stepping stone corporational wise yeah and so I, I always thought that was interesting because I've been in in the police world my entire yeah. life where it's not like you know it's like you just do it's it's very linear you know like figure it out but that's why I'm wondering like okay you've done this why not look for that executive type job or the next level in a different company yeah instead of completely just going another route or were you still trying to scratch that. I was still trying to scratch itch. that itch. And uh, after I came back from my deployment, um, a police officer that I grew up with, which is uh, with the department that I currently work for, reached out to me. We had mutual friends, and he was like, hey, uh, have you thought about being a police officer? Now, he already knew that question. Totally already knew that question. and Or knew the answer to that question. And I was like, yeah. He said, well, why don't you come apply? And I actually applied with one other police department <clears throat> ever, and it was while I lived up in the Bay Area. And that particular police department was kind of, yeah, just, I wouldn't say, they kind of left me on ice. They, they left me on ice, didn't really give me a definitive answer for almost nine months to a year. So I'm going through this whole process. I'm passing this, I'm passing this, I'm passing this. I get to the point where I'm like, okay, here's where's the offer letter. Here, let's go. And... Never comes. And, you know, I never really got a direct answer of, of why. And it really left a bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, because, like, again, at that point, I'm like, dude, I've, I've done stuff in my career. Right. Um, I've you know, got, got some college under my belt. You know, like, why like why, why wouldn't you take me? I never really got that best, that good of an answer. I think that was another reason why I was like, okay, let's get some more life experience. Went to the military. So when I came back from my deployment, he said, hey, why don't you come and apply? I still had that bad taste in my mouth, even though it was totally different department. But I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll go and apply. And it's what the city I grew up in. All right, let's go do it. Went, applied. And um, it was, um, I was very excited, very happy that I did. Because the process, though I wouldn't say that it was easy by any stretch of the imagination, it was, it was timely. And it was it was paced. All right, this is what this is. This is what this is. This is what this is. It wasn't like there wasn't a lot of lulls of all right, what's coming next? You knew exactly right. what to expect. They were contacting you. They were emailing you. They were they were on the ball, and that I appreciated. Um, one of the who's now a lieutenant, he was a sergeant at the time. He was at the orientation. He said, "If you have any questions for me or about the process, come and talk to me." Again, I wasn't in uniform or anything, but I still had just came off for fresh deployment. So my mom, hey sir, how you doing, sir? My name is blah blah blah, sir. Your voice changes when you're off deployment. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm over here sitting at standing at like you know parade rest, and he's like, like looking at me like, why are you standing like this? <laughs> he's like, at ease. <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, because all I saw was the chevrons on right. his, you know, on this on this jacket there, and uh, I told him, I said, hey, sir. I'm going to give you 110% 
I have nothing in my background, but when I was younger, I did this, 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 and this, this. If any of that's going to be a problem, let me know now. I won't even waste my time. Just that point blank. And he's like, well, if that's all you got. You should be good. Um, I appreciate your honesty. And I was like, I've kind of been dicked around before by a different agency some years prior. And I don't want to go through that again. He's like, you come here, you get a fake, you get a fair shot as long as you're open and honest and we'll figure everything else out. And I said, all right. And they did. He kept his word. And he was the same person who actually ended up calling me. Um, so they have a selection process, right? And they're supposed to give you a call once you're selected. And he personally called me and was like, Hey, how you doing? And you knew what day everyone's supposed to be called at what between the times. And I was at the gym and I was like, man, I'm just trying to get my mind off getting that call. Like, all right, I'm supposed to get this call. I haven't gotten it yet. Oh, it's 6 PM. I haven't gotten it yet. Oh no, what's going on? But they're supposed to call upwards, I think until nine to 10 PM. So 6 30 p.m., 6 45 p.m. About to do a big deadlift. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna get through this. Let's get through this workout. And all of a sudden, my, my phone goes off in, the po- in my pocket. It's, it's just, just as I'm like getting at the top of the peak of the weight, I throw that weight down. <laughs> Answer the call. I'm like, hello. And he's like, this is, you know, so and so. I was like, yes, sir. yes, sir. And he's like, I guess they really wanted you. Congratulations. I'm here to inform you that you've, uh, you've been asked to come to the police academy. Do you accept? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> and they gave me the academy days. I like, write this stuff down. And, uh, yeah. I think you'll ever forget that because I still remember mine, too. Like, I remember I was on the way to a Ducks game. And I've never, <laughs> I'd never been to a hockey game before. Yeah, yeah. It's the only, I think it's still the only hockey game I've ever been to. Really? Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's not something I go, I don't like go to the hockey game. So my buddy was like, hey, let's go to the hockey game. And I'm like, supposed to get this call tonight. Like, I'm waiting for this call. And he's like, just come on, just go to the game. Like, you go. went to a. How could you even? Inter, how how could you even entertain that and be like enjoy it when you know? I know, but I know I didn't want to go. I was like, I don't care about the game. I don't care about hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, he'll just go to this game. So we're driving, and I'm in the passenger seat, and I get this phone call, and I'm like, and I remember the officer that called me, and uh, she was like, do you, do you still you're accepting from the job? Same thing. Like, do you accept? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yes. And she's like, do you have a pen and paper? I'm like. I'm like yelling at him. Do you have a pencil of paper? <laughs> and we're like digging through the glove box. For, I still have the envelope. It was like a, and like like his registration envelope or something. Yeah, yeah. I still have that envelope where I wrote down all the information. Seriously, yeah. you still have that? Yeah, I wrote down all the information for the cat, like what day to show up and all the stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With the pencil that I found in his glove box, and, you know, like <laughs> and then we're, like we're on our way that to this game. I start. Yeah, it's funny. Some gnarled pencil. You're random, like, oh, yeah, just, random thing. Rah. I have to write it down. Um, but yeah, that's funny. I don't think ever, you're going to remember going to forget. Yeah. There's certain things in life you just never forget that, that you never, you never forget that. Yeah. That's very, that's very interesting after all that you d- had done. So up to this point, I mean, like you said, you're grown, you're, you're a 30 year old man at this point yeah. <laughs> and you still have that feeling of like excitement of like, Hey, I'm going to get this call. Yeah. And like what it felt like. I mean, that's a, that's, that's pretty, like, it's pretty significant, you know, think about that. Like, yeah. Like, and then, like you said, you didn't scratch the whole idea of scratching that itch. Really, it's not an itch. It's more like a calling. It is. And you feel like I, I kind of feel like even from hearing your story, it's like I have to do this. Yeah. Like, you know, you wanted to do it somewhere. You kind of got a bad taste in your mouth, but okay, I'm putting my heart into this. Just tell me straight up, so I don't have to like put too much into. You know, what I mean, you don't want to like you know 
fully go all in and yeah, be if like, I'm putting just, in my just equity, break my heart now. Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I have no problem putting in the hard work, but if that hard work is not going to get me anywhere, yeah. please let me know. Just tell me now. So yeah, just, <laughs> just, just, just let me know. Me I I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> I'll just, just show me down slow, please. It's all right. It's like a, it's like a bad breakup. Like, yeah. why'd you string me along so long? Is, was that really right? I took you out. Come on. What's, what's the problem? Yeah. Just cut the, cut the cord. <laughs> Remember that present I bought you? <laughs> oh man. All right. So you, you've made this decision. You now, were you done with lids already at this point or did you, <clears throat> did you no, start so, and then you quit? Then so you quit. once I got that Academy date, <laughs> I was I was uh, putting that two weeks. Really? Yeah. Did they I, have did they have any clue that that's what you're doing? Um, I only told like one. Well, they kind of had. I think someone kind of told something because you know they have to contact the HR to be like, hey, what kind of employee is this person? Blah, uh, okay, blah, blah, yeah, personnel yeah. file, all, all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. Um, I only had one person that I ended up telling. Um, that actually worked for the company at the time, and you know I told him, I was like, hey man, I, I got academy date, and he was like, great. Because he was thinking about applying for a state trooper position out of a different, out of a different area, a different state, and um, I first person I called was him. Let him know, hey, just so you know, I'm going to be leaving. And then I called my obviously respective boss and let him know, and he was cool about it. Um, I think he was kind of like, oh crap, like what? How can we replace? this Yeah, person? we got to replace yeah. this person, and where are they going to live? Where are they going? How much? How much we going to pay them? And they, his mindset was okay, good for you, but oh no, we got to fill the spot. Yeah. So I was like, all right, adios, partner. Yeah, good See luck. you later. <laughs> all right, so th- what year was this? Uh, is that 2018? 2018. So basically, uh, you start being a police officer out of the academy at 2019. Yeah. All right, on your own, kind of on your own, like middle of 2019. Yeah. Right before all shit goes down. Yeah. Across the world. <laughs> Until everything just... <laughs> yeah. Topsy turvy, everything's just turned upside down. And you're like, oh man, what did I just jump into? So there's a couple of things we had talked about before, and I am curious yeah. if, if it's okay to talk about it here. Um, your perspective on like going through the like obviously all police officers had to deal with COVID, and then yeah. the fact that like uh, the protests and the riots, people not liking police officers, but significantly for being a black man, yeah, and going through this and this whole idea of you just being a police officer and something you wanted your whole life. <laughs> and now people hate police officers. Yeah. Um, poof. I, I, it was, a, it was a difficult time for police officers. And it was a very difficult time for people of color, for people of color that represented, um, this blue uniform that we wear. It was a difficult time. It was a difficult time because not only are you getting, the the outrage from the media but you're also getting the internal questions for yourself and then not to mention you have family and, and home life so people you're you're it's this careful dichotomy of like oh man like did i choose the right career what am i doing why am i a part of this like did I, what, what's going on why is why can't we just go back to the mid-2000s yeah. when everything was okay yeah <laughs> man i should apply sooner like, <laughs> you know the good old days yeah the, the good old days man um dang so um, if I only would have got then, <laughs> so it was it was it was it was tough, but I think I dealt with it better now because I was older than I would have when I was younger. That makes a lot of sense. I had some ex- life experience, and I also had the military under my belt. The military, when I went in again, I still went in in the military. I was a grown man; I was twenty 
27 years old. Yeah, 27, 26, 27, something like that. So again, you're a grown man. Right. And they're telling they're teaching they're they're training you like you're fresh cherry out of high school. So they're busting you back down. They don't care what you've done. So I kind of had that mindset when I was going back to the academy, okay, you're gonna you're gonna get broken down again to be rebuilt, whatever. So when I got on patrol, I kind of took all of that with me and right, okay. This is just another part of life and it's how you deal with it that will either accentuate who you are or will break down who you are. Um, Some of the most difficult parts were, and again, we kind of talked about this is trying to figure out, okay, so people say, oh, well, black lives matter. All lives matter. Well, where do you fit? And I go, okay, well, I'm black. So you you think Black Lives Matter, or you believe that 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 phrase, or you believe in that organization? I go, well, I don't, I don't particularly care for that organization. Me personally, there's certain things in their bylaws that I don't, I don't feel align with me. But just that, just that sentence alone, and that sentiment of Black Lives Matter, yes, I will stand by that before anything well yeah because it's your life that's I mean, my life know. and i always i was always and i'm obviously i can't speak to it the way you can but mm-hmm. i would always say there's a difference between the term correct black lives matter and the organization black big lives matter. big difference big big difference <laughs> and, you know and that's why and that's why it was always like blm but it's people were standing behind the organization correct and i'm like that's not that's you're I you're conflating I the two and i can't explain to say like when people were trying to back the blue and all these things like it's not against black people. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's it's not against that. It's the organization, the way they're the way they're doing things. Yeah. So, but you can speak more to that as far as like the differences and how you felt on that. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting because I think people conflate the two. Like, oh, either you're either you're Republican or you're Democrat, whether you're left or you're right. Like, you have to like you had to choose one. And I was like, oh. and this comes back to life experience. We're all freaking Americans, man. I mean, I've traveled to all these different places. We're all still Americans. We all essentially want the same type of lifestyle. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if some other person or some other marginalized community is feeling like they do not have that, then we should feel like, hey, cool. Why don't they feel like they have that? If I feel like I have that or they they are owed this, and if there's a an inherent... Um, reason because we know from our history that they didn't have that and they still feel marginalized then we need to go ahead and and, and pick them up and say okay you need you, we need we need to bring you to the same level right with that being said i'm not going to sit here and say that i back that organization i believe that black lives matter i believe that all lives matter i back the blue i back the red i back the green i back american citizens and people that are coming from different nations to become american citizens that's what i back and i'll always back that um, I believe in the freedom of speech. Um, you know, when I was deployed, the whole Colin Kaepernick thing happened where he was taking the knee. <clears throat> and it's interesting. It's, it was kind of tough because one love football two, I like Colin Kaepernick having no problem with that, but he's taking a knee during the pledge of allegiance. And I'm currently wearing that U S army uniform with the, with a patch on my, on my shoulder. Yep. So it's like, Hey man, like what's going on? And a part of me got upset. I was like, oh, that guy, he's got all this money and you know, can't believe he did this. Blah, blah, blah. And I kind of um, 
continued to fuel the internal fire of what the media was perpetuating. Like, look at this guy disgracing the flag and he's doing this and he's doing that. And I had to check myself and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on, dude. I'm wearing this, I'm wearing this uniform because I believe in the freedom of speech. So that means I have to give him the right to protest. I have to give him that right to freedom of speech. So, like, all right, man, go ahead and do your thing. I may not agree with it or I may agree with it, but my, that, that's irrelevant. As long as it's not hurting anybody, go ahead and do your thing, partner. That's that's your bag. So that's totally cool. I'm I'm cool with it. It is what it is. Doesn't I don't have to agree with it. But so so often in life people feel like, oh well, that's they think differently than me or they've had a different point of view and I don't agree with that. Well, a conversation isn't a cosign, man. It's just that, it's just a conversation. And that's okay. I think you explained it when you said it to me uh, before, it's almost I think you kinda of said it right now, but it's you're fighting for the you're fighting for that freedom. Like you're yeah. out there fighting on the front line as a in the in the army like hey i'm fighting for the freedom of speech Correct. and if i'm fighting for this freedom that means i have to allow them allow to them have that yep. I, I think my only thing that comes down from like any it sounds weird but like when it becomes an influential people who are or any famous person mm-hmm. doing something that and i'm not saying that this was his th- reason i don't even i'll be honest i i mean i read what the media put out there but i don't know his internal feelings about why you know all the feelings why he started but let's say anybody that's a famous person that does something um, and acts like they're not influencing millions of people. Um, I think that's not the, that's irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Like it depends on, depending on what you're doing. Like for, like if you're, if you're in the front line of, of a riot, for example, I'm not saying, I don't know anyone, any, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just making things. I got you. If you're on the front line of a riot and you're, and you're a famous person, or you're saying we should go do something, and you're, yeah, yeah. I think that's it's irresponsible to not know that your influence, correct? To not not expect that it's going to influence other people. Um, so I think that a lot of people look at Colin Kaepernick and saying that like, he's doing this, and it's going to it's influencing all these other people to do it, and they're just doing it because he's doing it, not correct. because they actually believe what he he had gone through, what he believes. Mm-hmm. They're just doing it because oh, it's a cool thing to do, or what? And then that, you know, I don't know if that's if that's something that's ever been brought up, but that whole idea of like the influence not being understood by that person, or if they do understand it and that's why they're doing it. I, I think that it was, I think Colin's um, Colin Kaepernick is, is, is intelligent enough to know that was a calculated decision by his part. I think maybe it's maybe, maybe it may have started off with a small, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and sit out of protest and I think once he started getting, once some of his friends that were like, "Hey, dude, like we're veterans, like could you could you at least just take a knee?" But, but don't don't do it that way. It's kind of disrespectful, and these are the reasons why. And he kind of changes to and say, "Hey, man, I'm doing this for me. This is why I'm doing it. I'm taking a knee. I want to be respectful of our troops, and this is this is how I'm going to do it respectfully." I think he started taking ownership of that and saying, "Hey, this is what I'm doing. If you want to do your thing, do your thing. But these are the reasons why I'm doing it. This is this is this is why I'm doing it." And you know, he, he kind of put forward that. I think. As, as the momentum became bigger, he he stopped wanting to be the face the face of it and kind of kind of maybe shied away from it a little yeah. bit more. That's fine, whatever. But that was kind of a precursor to what we're seeing now with you know or what we saw in 2020 with BLM and then obviously the huge George Floyd incident and the big movement that we were seeing across the nation. It was kind of starting that it was starting to fan those flames a little bit. It was starting to kick up that dust. And I think we saw the overall um, cataclysmic explosion 
back in 2020 with George Floyd because people were feeling this way. Or people were not only feeling this way, but this generation, right, was feeling this way. It, it, it all everything works in cycles, right? So this generation was feeling like, oh, this is our moment. This was this was this was our Selma, or this was our uh, this was our Chicago. This 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 was these were our issues that happened to. Our, our parents or our great-grandparents in the 1960s and 70s and civil rights will, will quote-unquote, they felt like they were still feeling that today, and it still wasn't fair, so they, they kicked off. Some of that was with nefarious action. Some of that was just people coming in, looting, uh, looting places and doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and harassing people and stealing for no reason. Some people were just going to be an opportunist, and you'll always find those people that, that make something into um, that was supposed to be started good, I think that in the beginning, Black Lives Matter probably did start off good, but now you got people buying houses and you know stealing money and doing a whole bunch of weird stuff, right? And that sucks because that takes away from that movement, right? It takes away from the credibility, and everything. Every organization has some type of the credibility. Well, Whether, it was the same thing in 2016 when I don't, you were in a police officer at the time, mm-hmm. but that's what really like turned me off from that organization when people were saying Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. like they were going like chanting the, the Black Lives Matter, but then they were like the guy was shooting. You know Dallas cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During yeah, yeah. a Black Lives Matter protest, so and, I was and, in Texas when that happened. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was in and Texas so, when that and happened, and that was like that was a turning point where I'm like, I can't. And then social media was out of control, and I had to get off social media. Like I had, I couldn't do it anymore. Like so, I'm like, I can't keep watching all this stuff. I was in Fort Bliss, Texas. I was about to, I was about to leave for uh, my deployment, and that just so I'm in the chow line, about to get my pancakes and hot cake and whatever, and it, I, could, I just see it. Uh, on, on the headlines, I'm like, so we're, I'm eating stuff in my fat little face and I'm watching it. And again, we're military. So we see the video of how he gunned these officers down and we're like, dude, that's a military dude. That's, those are military tactics, man. right? Like the same way he does it. And we were, we were all just like, dang, that's crazy. And, you know, the way that it got uh, portrayed and you know, I felt so bad for those officers. I felt so bad for that whole situation. I felt bad for that, for the city of Dallas. And, um, it it i think it, i think it sparked a lot of attention and it, it it lit a fire under a lot of people some good some bad and some in between yeah yeah well it's interesting i think that and even the organization kind of went silent for a little while yeah after all that they kind of like oh we need to take a step back they, i mean it felt like that at least and then all of a sudden when then george floyd happens and then interim, it was full Started force ramping up yeah but um I mean, like, so that happens. You you told the story. I don't know if you want to tell it when you're on patrol with your with your partner. <laughs> like, how interesting it was for you, like, to yeah. see this. I don't know if you want to tell the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're 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 driving down a pretty uh, a major downtown thoroughfare um, right after the riots. It's probably maybe a couple of days after the riots, or people want to call it the civil unrest, right? Listen, call it spade a spade is what yeah. it is. And um, so it's me. I think I was driving at the time and I had a partner. I had a partner at the time as well. And yeah, he's also a uh, uh, African-American guy. So he's riding shotgun with me. And um, we're, we're going through downtown and we kind of reached like almost like this epicenter of where things were kind of like bubbling over days prior. And there's this um, middle-aged white lady and uh, she's got, you know, black lives matter sign. <clears throat> and she's kind of sitting there she's got, she's probably in her sixties. And uh, she looks at us just like with this visceral reaction and I uh, just like, and with her glasses on, right? The total Karen, just glasses on, like hair, like that, just total Karen. And she looks at us and like with like this fuming anger, 
yells at us, Black Lives Matter. And our windows were down. Our windows were down. And we looked over. And yeah, it was a little unprofessional. I'll be the first to raise my hand and say that. But we both looked at each other and started laughing. And we weren't laughing to make fun of her. We were laughing because she just now figured that crap out. Well, the irony of Like it, the right? irony and of yelling, so And yelling at you guys. <laughs> yelling at us who are black to know that our lives are. Yeah, yeah I, think I, I think I've known that. Thanks for, thanks for cluing in on this one, Karen. Do I you think she would say, I feel like she's yelling. She's almost yelling at the police. She's not even yelling at you. She, yeah, she's but, yelling at the police. That's the problem, right? Right. She's yelling at the police. Correct. As if like the police are against the same thing against black people, uh-huh. and that's nothing of sorts like that at all. Like yeah. like how many how many people that we care about in our city and all people of color, right? And it says nothing to do with with black, brown, or indifferent. You know, it's it's, it's all of all of the people. Yeah, and she's yelling at the police. Correct. As if you don't know, you don't know that. Yeah, you know the organization or, the, or black people don't matter. <laughs> But see, that's that's the type of mindset that's really scary, right? Because she's yelling at that uniform of what that rep, what that uniform represents, but can't even see the the relevance of the two black men that are wearing said uniform, right? And how they identify, and that to me is like the scariest part of like, oh, you just you just don't get it. You can't even see past your own nose because you're so ingrained and involved in the system that. I, I couldn't speak sense to you even if I tried because you're not going to listen. Yeah. And that's, and that's the sad part, right? There's no open constructive conversation. That's, that's the saddest part. I think that's a, like a lot of, well, the whole thing we said before, like Republican, Democrat, everything, it's all about, and you even talked about when you were in college, this idea of like being inside the box. Right. Yeah. And we're not able to, as human beings, just have a conversation like, Hey, what was a, what is it? Hey man, I see that you're a police officer and you're black. Yeah. How, how is this affecting you? Like you just dealt with riots three days ago. Yeah. No, it's just yelling at the marked black and white car. Yeah. You know, so it's <laughs> that closed off mindset. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, the, I hope within the next, the next five to 10, the next generation as they continue to come up with law enforcement, as we continue to come up as a society, that we can have the dialogue that we know is much needed and not trying to cancel people just because they believe or have a different ideological perspective than ourselves. And that's like the scariest part. Um, It's just canceling people or taking down their social media or taking down their this because this person believes. Now there's a big difference between hate speech it's a big difference. I think that if you if you're a Twitter, right? If you if, if I own Twitter and someone's like, "Hey, um, we represent freedom of speech, but we don't identify with bullying or hate speech." Okay, great. It's a corporation at the end of the day, right? If you want to sit there and say, "Hey, like this hate speech, we don't we we take down that stuff. That's totally cool. Whatever, whatever you choose to do, your corporation." But um, because there's a big difference between hate speech and 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 canceling someone because you don't like their their viewer vantage point on a situation. So, Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So now you're a couple years in and we're kind of seeing the second part of this. Like, we're not, I mean, we kind of passed the whole, it's almost like it's like turning a little bit because people got to the point where like now, now I feel like we're seeing, especially in Southern California, we're seeing crime skyrocket. It's oh, like yeah. out of control yeah. because of the way I feel like we were going so one other direction of like, Hey, we have to, um, 
I don't know the right word is here, but succumb seems right. Similar, like we have to sway to, to them to the to, masses to, the masses, to, a, to appeal to. We, and we're saying it's masses, but we always we kept telling, and then internally, I mean, I'm sure you heard this plenty of times. Like it, we always tell our guys, hey, guys and gals, like hey, the majority of people support you, correct? Right? You hear that all over and over again. You look up on the news, and it'd be <laughs> millions of people that hate you or yelling, like you know, against you. But we would tell you. We know that majority of the people support you. They're coming out in waves, like they support you. Um, so, but we've we've changed policies, we've changed procedures, we've changed laws to basically lessen crime. You know the effect lessen of crime. the gravity from that particular demographic. That's how they're spinning it, right? Right. And so now we have people that aren't doing time. We have people that we have fighting crime out of control. Yep. And now I see that okay, there's now there's a pushback, a little bit of pushback mm-hmm. to try to like recover. But you know recovery isn't like this. Like media, recovery no. is going to take, you're talking about 10 years, it's going to take a decade yeah, to see the full effect of the recovery because it's not going to, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's, um, no, knowing of where I grew up and, you know, kind of the, having the mentality of my parents worked, my dad finally retired about four years ago. But my parents worked. My, my my mother still works. My mom's there in mid sixties, almost no. I'm sorry, my mom's seventy. And um, but my mom enjoys working, so she still does. So to look at it now and say, okay, I know my parents how they how they grew up. I know my at one point in time my mom worked. My dad had two jobs, and we were just, you know, me and my sister. We were, we were just getting by. We were just getting by with, you know, so. And then to go to school in a fairly affluent area of like kind of like the haves and the have nots, right? And I was like, I was definitely more on the not category, <laughs> right? Um, well, I have to look at kind of what's going on now in society and going, okay, hey, did all this stuff is changing and people are pushing back, but are they pushing back because they earnestly want to change or are they only pushing back because it finally affected their pocketbook? Cause that finally reached some of the more affluent areas where they weren't used to seeing that type of crime. You know, there's been a couple calls I've been to where, you know, people were coming back from like an, uh, a game in LA and they had a really nice car and they, uh, they, they tracked them all the way up to, to our city. And cause they stopped in our, our city for gas before they made their way to a, a fairly nice area in orange County. And they were targeted from leaving the game because of the type of car they took their watches, took her diamond rings, like took everything, beat them over the head. And that's the kind of stuff that we're seeing here because people, people know that, Oh, well one, if you get caught, you're not going to, you're not going to do in your real time. You're going to get a slap on the wrist and you're seeing these type of violent crimes. And so now the people that are in these affluent areas that have the votes, they own the businesses, they're, they're shareholders, they're stockholders. They have all this influence, right? Monetarily, maybe, and community-based, that they're finally saying, hey, dude, my catalytic converter got just stole off my 911 Porsche. We need to do something about this. Versus someone who's been living in a different type of the community has been talking about, hey, we've been having our homes broken into for the past couple of years. And I, I would say that's probably more frustrating where it sh- I want to see it just well-balanced. Yeah. That's... that's And that's interesting because if you're... if you're Based on what you're saying, it's like, okay, now the reason why we're seeing... Cha- maybe seeing the possibility of change mm-hmm. is because of it affecting people of money right compared to people of of lesser income i would say people of influence okay i would say that and the interesting part of that is that it's it's majority been like if even in in the city that we work in mm-hmm. hey if if a crime happens and unfortunately this is the, just the facts 
crime happens in downtown, <laughs> you know, in a nice area where people are going to call the chief of police, that that same and that crime like notifications go up the chain, yeah, at, like immediately, right? So you call me, I call lieutenant, lieutenant calls, you know, whatever, all the way up to the chief knows about that crime within. An, like that day, hours, whatever, if that happened. Yeah, depending on the crime, depending right? Depending on the crime, or yeah. minutes. Like it happened, they, they get notified right away. And that same crime happens in a, in a less affluent area in the city, and there's no notification made. Like you take, you take a report, maybe you tell the supervisor, maybe you don't. If you tell the supervisor, maybe he says, okay, I, I heard what you said, thank you for the information, <laughs> and move on. Like it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's been like that forever. Mm-hmm. Because it all has to do with, like you said, like influence. Like who who's going to make the biggest fuss at the end of the day? Correct. And then who, who the chief needs to know about, right? It's very interesting, but that's yeah. it's that's a fact. So yeah, maybe if people who are now being affected can stop being, I want to say the word woke, but woke, <laughs> and they can be like, hey, let's let's actually make it like let's, let's switch it back up so we cannot have these people in, in political power making these, I think, really stupid decisions and not you know pushing criminals to be prosecuted it's it's pushing a narrative and it's pushing it from this is my personal view i believe it's pushing a, a cancerous narrative right because if you're telling people hey yeah if you can commit crime we'll find you but we're not going to hold you accountable or we're going to hold you accountable to a less the, the least extent possible what are you telling this next generation you know we've seen an influx in property crimes whether it be smash and grabs or you know uh, i mean we're, we have you know, city vehicles just i know from this <laughs> from this month that had catalytic converts taken off city property so to me it just shows a total disregard for authority and you know and that's really sad to see and it's going to take some time to turn that tide back it's not going to happen overnight anyone who's grown up you know whether and whether it be in a time of gates whether it be in a time of you know whatever there was a certain, and I'm not saying everything was perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Some people were like, well, back then, you know, cops were cowboys and blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, man, like, like you, there has to be a, a careful medium. There has to be a, um, checks and balances and, and a balance. But you, you can't just have lawlessness run rampant in your city or your community and have it just go that way. I mean, and it doesn't even have to be the fact that, like, it's about the whole cops being cowboys. Like, the fact that we... Cops are making arrests. Like cops yeah. are making yep. their cops are still doing their job. They are regardless of the fact that guys, you know, criminals aren't getting prosecuted. So we're just seeing the same people come out over and over and over and over again. Versus like maybe there'd be a little lull where like you say, hey, like affect this area by putting more presence there, putting you know, yep. doing enforcement action, getting you know these people off the street because we're arresting for these type of crimes and we're going to look for these type of people to that are doing these type of crimes. Let's get these people off the street. And now we get criminals off the street you know, putting more officers on the street. We're not doing that. We're take, we can do that all day and it doesn't matter. They're getting out the next day or sometimes before we even done or, with the police report. Right. And so that, that's the, then that's the issue. So it's not even about the cost being cowboys. Cause we could go in and, and I think that I think law enforcement today, especially in California is probably the most professional you could possibly be. And then I've compared this idea to other States like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, or more because, because California is so liberal. Like the city, the state is liberal. Policing is also like I say the word liberal, but it's not really the right way to say it. But we police in a way that we know that the state is liberal, 
and that we have to be we over we're training to the nth degree we're making sure that we can communicate we can talk to people we're making sure that we're not taking, we're overemphasizing what's politically correct yes yes and we're taking those steps to keep from you know getting uses of force to you know you know prevent in officer involved shootings we're doing a lot of things to make sure these things don't happen we're not taking not doing immediate action unless it's necessary. Mm-hmm. We're making sure we take time to before we have to act in, in creating space so we can we yeah. can have that time. I wonder taking that same frame to another state mm-hmm. and seeing what the difference is and if it really and like using the train that we have in California, like taking that somewhere else because I think that we're doing a great job as police with what we can do. Yeah, we just it's like we're our hands are tied. And I and people get frustrated, and the officers are getting frustrated, and they're getting their their faith is being challenged all the time of yeah. what they can do. It's it, it's tough. Um, there's been situations where I should always choose to use my words over just using my you know my brawn. With that being said, there are you certain- are a tiny person. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been called tiny a long time. <laughs> I'm average. Um, but, um, it's, um, it's interesting to me because people often say, Hey, like, are the police doing anything on this stuff? Like what's, what's going on? I'm not seeing any change. And I have to like, you know, whether it be homeless situation, whether it be this or this type of these different types of enforcement, and some of them, I tell them, like, we're trying our best or we're, we're, we're trying and we're, we're doing what we can. But there are some things that we know from a political side of things we can't enforce. Right. Right. Um, it used to be and it could be totally wrong here, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. When I first started, it was like, hey, there's municipal codes on you can't sleep in your car. There was a municipal codes of, hey, you can't um, take up a certain portion of the sidewalk. I think it was like 36 inches more. You can take more than like 36 inches of the sidewalk, right? You can just lay on the ground and take up the whole sidewalk, right? Like, you know, sleep sleep on the ground. Um, these are things now that we can't, as far as I know, enforce, right? Because this person is experiencing homelessness and they are a protected class and as they are. And it's, a lot of them do need mental help. A lot of them do need other resources. With that said... They have to want and have the desire to want those resources because I can't just throw this person over to a facility that offers resources if they're like, hey, these are the criteria. You can't you can't smoke here inside the inside the building. You can't, you know, whatever you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And if that person is like, well, I ain't doing any of that. Well, okay, well, you can't get resources here. And then he leaves and he's still he's still a nuisance, right? He's still a problem. At what point do we have to um do we have to take enforcement action for the community's uh, benefit and say, how do we rectify this situation? And I think that in the issue you're going to find is that it's not even it's not, well, politically. Yeah. But then you have money. Like mm-hmm. we're not, we don't have money to house people in jail for, we used to, yeah, we used to take people to jail yeah. or let's say enforce, and that could be a citation, but enforce um, what they would now call issues. People only deal with because they're homeless. Right. So like, you know, like you said, like sleeping in the park after hours or, or drinking in public and, you know, on a sidewalk or yeah. whatever, like all these little things that you're like, you're in in public. and like, I'm, this is where I live. This is my tent. Like <laughs> I can, I can nowhere else to drink or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I, this is my, my tent is parked on the sidewalk. Cause that's where I live. Yeah. And it's like, we can't, now we need to evict them from their, their area or write a warrant on a tent. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. yeah. And I, and I, 
and I those issues have gotten more um, blatant in the in the area, and it's because of that. Not only just the money, we don't have we're not housing these people. Let's say they say no, we're not leaving, and you're going to arrest them. Well, we're gonna we're not paying for the we're not gonna keep them out of jail. We don't have no. room for them. Um, and then yeah, politically they're not gonna prosecute. So if they're not gonna prosecute, and we don't have that means the city doesn't want to be a victim. Mm-hmm. Then why are we arresting them? Why are we even contacting yeah. that person realistically? But, and a lot of times you have to tell the people who call, which is unfortunate when it's in their neighborhood, like, hey, it, the, sometimes people become a nuisance. Like, either they're screaming in the middle of the night and they're yep. just sleeping on the sidewalk in front of your house and they're like, hey, I want this person moved. And you're like, I can't not legally move them. I can ask them nicely, but if they say no, I can't do anything about it. And that's a, and, yeah. and people don't understand why. Like, they want to know why. And then a lot of it has to do with the change of all of these laws and policies. Yeah. And there's... I know people are like, well, aren't there 5150 holds? I'm like, well, 5150 holds, they have to meet certain criterias. Danger to yourself, danger to others, or gravely disabled due to a mental illness. I have to be able to prove, all right? I have to write up something, pretty much a little, a little synopsis on the report of what their ailments are and why I, be- why I contact this person, why I believe, and it has to meet these criterias. If not, then I'm not doing my due diligence and I could essentially be up for prosecution for kidnapping this person, right? If it doesn't meet these criteria, right? And not to mention, why well, have to take him to a facility that um, that deals with mental health needs? Now, granted, we have a couple of facilities here in the city that we work in, but there's been times, man, just last month, I had to drive all the way to Culver City to take someone in the middle of the night because I work at Graveyard and they didn't want to take him. And I already, already, at that point in time, I already called four or five other places. And they ended up not taking him because he had, um, his blood alcohol level was, was they said, was was too high. And I'm like, what? I was like, is that Paz calibrated? <laughs> He's fine. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's things like that where it's like, hey, are we using the city resources appropriately? At what point did I just become a taxi service for this guy that was experiencing homelessness and yes he, he was probably battling some 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 internal demons of schizophrenia and i do want to get him resources i do want to get him help but what what can i what can i do here because i can't i can't our our, our job is public safety that's that's my job um where can i where can i take this dude we're gonna take this gal for them to feel secure and get the resources and the attention they desperately need without it encroaching on my ability to police the rest of the city. Yeah. So dealing with all these different issues and seeing the changes as starting as a police officer older in your life, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you, and I know you said like if you were younger, you maybe would have reacted differently Mm -hmm. going through all that stuff. But um, now kind of seeing the other side of it, do you have a different experience that you've have had conversations with maybe people in your academy class that are younger? Like, do you do they do you feel like you are mentoring them, or do you think that there's times and maybe I shouldn't say that, but like, do you think there are times that like you're having like kind of a different mindset on what they believe and what you believe? I th- I think I don't know if that was the right way to ask. I'm gonna say it's so much a belief system. It's just an ideology, right? It's just different life experiences. If I'm going to have a different life experience than someone that grew up in a certain part of LA versus someone who grew up, you know, 95% of their life in Irvine. And it's not, it's not to say that they are this or I am that it's just a different life experience, man. And I think some of that is 
the cool, awesome thing about police work is it gets it gets them the opportunity they have never seen that type of environment to to view it. That's the awesomeness of it. The problem with that is that person can either look at it and go, wow, we need to make this change for everybody and make it better for everyone. Or they can just go, oh, that's just these people. Right. And then it starts getting to like these labels and stuff like that. I know people are like, what do you mean? Well, because people are people. Longer you longer you stay in any career field, you're going to put up brick walls and be like, okay, that that's that's not me. This is them, whatever, cool. Um, I think it's important to in the in the MP Corps, in the military police corps, um, it's we have a phrase and it's called um um I think it was um for the troops of the troops. That means we pick from our ranks who to be a military police officer. And that's important because I think from the community, we should also pick the people that we want to police our community. It's an interesting thing when you have, and I'm not saying that you can't be from other areas. I'm not saying that you can't be from other cities. I'm not saying that you have to, if you're patrolling an area of Spanish or Hispanics, that you have to know Spanish. I'm not saying that, but it's important to pick certain, sometimes have a certain percentage from that community that know, oh, well, this person here throws a cookout every every spring and this person lives here and these people are over here. And it's going to be more of knowing that community and that culture rather than you just being like, well, I just work here four days or three days out of the week. I come here, I work this beat and I, you know, I make sure that everyone's cool and following, abiding by the law. But the question is, if you have if you have no sweat equity, if you have no real buy in into that community, you have no real <laughs> no equity at all then what good is it for you to sit there and enforce a law when you're just like, mm, it is what it is, whatever. See, I see, I see that side of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Give me I, a pushback. Go this is my, this is my thing though. Okay. So, okay. So I'm not from, I'm not, I don't, I didn't grow up in the city that we were yeah. in, but I came, I went to college here mm-hmm. and I, I've, I've been here for 20 years. Okay. Um, so I, I chose, this is the only department I ever applied for. Like when I, when I was 21, I applied for this department and I didn't apply for any other department. And I knew I wanted to work here. And I had no, as far as life experience, I had college, but yeah. I didn't have, I was 20, I was 21 when I started the academy. So, so I had zero life experience. Fresh pub. Yeah. Fresh and, pub. and I, and I looking back at myself and I'm like, I would not hire myself. <laughs> like I just, I, I, I really feel like I would look at myself and when I was an FTO, training young guys, I was really hard on them. And I was always like, I was always a recruit thinking like, Oh, I'm never going to be yelling at my recruits. I mean, like I want to be a better FTO. And then I was an FTO thinking like, these guys are morons. And like, no offense <laughs> to the guys are trained. And I didn't think, and that's not really what I felt like deeply, but I'm just like, dude, keep up knowing I wouldn't even have met my own expectations. Yeah. Does that make, you know, does that make I sense? You, like yeah. I wouldn't, wouldn't as a recruit, I would never have met my own expectations. So, Anyway, let's to the idea of this idea of patrolling area. Like I have always um, cared about what happens to the people in the city. Like when, like when good people get victimized, correct, right? And you're sitting there looking at somebody and having to tell them like their husband or wife or kid is may not make it, or yeah. or you're at a homicide scene and you know, like I have like. I want to have justice for this person. Correct. And I didn't live here for most of my career. I've not lived in the city. So it's not, I, I've, I feel like people who have this passion for this job, they care about 
people. There's a reason why you're doing it, you know? It's, mm-hmm. And I would say that you don't have to have that. I, I, I do like the idea of like the, the, that model, like the community kind of like having the opt to choose, kind of like choosing someone that from their community to police them. Well, I wouldn't How say, that, say I wouldn't say I the community has a choice, right, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, yeah. re- representing the community. A lot of times though, as police officers and you know, mm-hmm. you probably would not work or sorry, sorry. You probably would not live in most of the areas that you still patrol that you patrol. Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't even live in the city, but you, you did mm-hmm. at one point. Um, so you do have a kinship to the city, but you don't live here now. And I think that that's a thing. Like it's like, well, most of the city, we wouldn't, we know what the kind of crimes are happening there. We do, we don't want to live in this city and we can't afford, let's say the nicer area of the city where less crime is happening because mm-hmm. it's so expensive. Yeah. So people are living outside the city and then like you said, spending four days a week in their, you know, in their career and then going home outside the city. And that could, you're right. It could over time, if not careful, develop that mindset of, well, if they're not going to, if meaning like the city doesn't care, yeah. Then why do I care? And that's and that's why it comes down to our political leaders. And that's where I say like if the political leaders care about the citizens, and that means all the citizens, not just the people who live in the nice area, but like all the citizens. Correct. And they we are able to have justice for the people Everyone. who are being victimized, which means that people who commit crimes are staying in jail and being prosecuted, and the police officers who are policing the cities are able to make an impact and be like, Hey, I I work this beat, I enforce all these laws, I work my ass off. I'm do the community asked me to do this. I did it. Yeah. And now look, two months later, cleaned it up, or a year later, cleaned it up, or two years later, like look what we've did to the city. It's amazing. Like we've cleaned this whole area up, and I work my heart my heart out here, and yeah. And look what we've done. The citizens love it. We're feeling great about it. And political leaders are like, yeah, you did a good job. Like we're gonna keep this up. I think no matter where you live, you're gonna feel a sense of value. But when the leaders say, no, hey. Well, yeah, there's not really. Yeah, we're not going to prosecute. Yeah, yeah. same criminals still doing all the same stuff. You're like, I can't make a dent. Like, I keep going to the same call every single day, and I can't make a dent. And and the community starts getting angry. Yeah, at at woohoo! When you get angry at at the police officers because they're like, like, hey, what's what's going on here? Yeah, right. And I want I want to clear I want to clear that up. I would I'm not saying that every police officer has to be within the community that that they directly police. Right. But I believe that you should have some type of buy-in in that community. That means you should know, you should know, hey, this church is here. Maybe these are some of the pastors from, from, from this uh, particular congregation. Um, maybe you should know, hey, cool, this this park has, you know, this these competitions that go on this time of the year. Right. You should really know things about the community that you're that you're patrolling. And that's really why I mean that's what actually I mean just having some actual sweat equity in the community to know what's going on in that community, who lives in that community, and actual buy-in. Right. And I say and you say actual buy-in, mm-hmm. I don't mean and you should preface that being like not just social media posts about it. Yeah, no, no. Because no, no, like no, we no. I feel like we in general yeah. and I mean policing, it's all about hey, we gotta show social media presence, right? <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about this. Yeah. An idea of like, hey, we're gonna social social media. We hey, look we took a picture in the community but do we actually are we actually putting time and effort yeah. into knowing people? I agree. I agree. It's um it's more than just a notion to sit there and say, "Hey, we do this for the community." Okay. All right, so the question is, what do you do for the community that goes above and beyond? Some things that are off the clock maybe, some things that are on the clock, some things that are um, expressed on social media, some things that are not. Um and to also know when, hey, this is just 
I don't want to say a political move, but when this appeases a certain agenda, you, you have to know what that is as well. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, I'm curious, like, can I kind of wrap it up here? But what are your, what are your goals going forward? Like with your, with your experience mm-hmm. and I kind of, I have like something I want to talk about, but I really, I want to know if you're going to bring it up. I don't know. This is kind of weird, but <laughs> like, what are your goals going for? I know there's some things you're going to start. You're trying to start at the department, but like, yeah, yeah. What, where you, where's your passion right now? Um, my passion is a couple different things. Um, I have, I have a passion for training. I have a, I have a, a uh, last, a uh, couple months ago, I got, um, trained at, the, at our academy to be a PT instructor. Um, cool. So I really would like to kind of work my way towards that direction of uh, the training and stuff like that, and maybe um, hopefully the next couple of years maybe make a be a cadre an RTO, oh cool, training officer. Um, that's something I really enjoy. I always enjoyed drill and ceremony in the military. I always enjoyed just kind of that um, being able to build that foundation that you can build on when it comes to whether it's law enforcement or even that person, because everyone's going to come in with their different characteristics. We don't want to ever change who that person is. We want to, we want to shape and see what that character is. Right. And that character is everything because though we all wear the same uniform, this uniform, it will show and expose exactly who you are. If you're a good person or if you lack character, you need, you need some current development. Right. So um, I know there was some stuff that we talked about in regards to the mounted uh, patrol stuff. Still working with the, uh, still working with the city on that. Uh, have another meeting coming up pretty soon with the with the chief. So uh, the mounted unit stuff. I've been working on the proposal for a little over a year and a half now, going on two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I wrote this up, like sixteen page proposal, about a year ago, and so it's been working its way steadily up the chain. And it wasn't just me; it was uh, myself. And, and he's now since retired. Um, another another sergeant, and I've worked with an, a lieutenant on this, and. Uh, a few different agencies, LAPD, LA County Sheriff's, Orange County Sheriff's, uh, Anaheim uh, PD, work with a few different organizations to kind of put all of this together. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll get to uh, get a mounted, a mounted unit out here. I think it'd city. be really cool to see if, if I look back and see a picture of you, <laughs> of you in uniform on a horse, not just standing next to a pony. Not just standing next to a pony? <laughs> but actually on a horse. <laughs> yeah, man. And the biggest thing about that is, you know, animals are, are amazing. And they bring the community together because it takes it off that officer to say, hey, look at me. I'm waving at you. Please come talk to me. And there's been a lot of studies done on, hey, them having a horse out in just general patrol. People are gravitated towards the, that horse. It's, they gravitate towards just that calmness and that peaceness. Of, it brings them back to that mentality of, oh, when was the first time you saw a horse? Oh, when I was a kid. It, yeah. brings, you, it brings your psyche back there. Your guards, your guards come down. And you just want to, hey, oh, wait, what do you do again? Oh, I'm a police officer for this city. Uh, you want a sticker? Oh, thank you, thank you, thanks for talking to my kid. Hey, I live over here. Um, we had a couple break-ins last week, and I think I saw some guy on my ring camera. Um, can I send you the footage? Oh, great. Did you already follow a police report? I did, but I didn't turn in this footage. Okay, great. Here's the, you know, I'll look up the DR, and it, you know, it's it's another way of of building a tool, um, uh, building community relations uh, with the community, but it's also a way to also still do your job. Yeah, and create creates connection. Yeah. Media connection, yeah, yeah, that and like I like the, I mean, I need to bring this up, but like the idea of like even like you said animals, but just like do- like dogs, like the yeah. therapy the dogs, yeah, all these canines, and just, it immediately brings people to like that connection. 
That's really cool. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know we have, we could probably talk for like <laughs> another hour and a half or something. But um, yeah, this is great, man. We gotta do it again. Thanks for having me, I really appreciate it. So I can't wait to see what you do with your career. I know you're gonna go far. I know, <laughs> I, I know you are. And like with your with this like your drive and what you have going on with yourself, and like the fact that you wrote a proposal already. I mean, that's really, <laughs> I never wrote a proposal. Anyway, it's going to be crazy, dude. I'm, I'm really excited to see where you're going to go with this. Thank you. I appreciate the time. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. And uh, I look forward to see uh, what you're going to be doing as, uh, as you take off in your different ventures as well. I'm sure you'll be going very far. We'll see. All, All right. right. Thanks again, dude. I'll see you, man. Let's put this outro music on real quick.